Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, please visit our website at www.trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, church. It is good to be with you today. Melinda and I have been looking forward to our weeks and maybe months that we'll be spending together. Uh, working together in the kingdom of God, and what a privilege it is to be here with you today. And I'm so grateful for all the welcome that has been offered us through your trustees and deacons and others over the past few weeks as we've anticipated today. Uh, One of the challenges uh, that I face is you already know each other, and I'm trying to learn your names. I heard about a student at Baylor University a few years ago who was a senior, and he discovered that he, he was lacking three hours of electives as he was registering for his last semester. And so he quickly checked around the, kind of checking the grapevine to find out what would be a really easy course to take to add to his schedule, guarantee that he graduated. Turns out the the word on the street was that there was an old professor in the biology department who taught a course on birds. And it was the easiest course on campus. And he taught the same course every year. There were a lot of field trips. Uh, and the tests were easy. He gave the same test every year. And so the students signed up for that class. Well, by the time the student arrived for the semester, uh, the, the professor had retired, and they had hired a new young guy right out of graduate school. And, oh, man, there was reading to do, and there were field trips, and there were uh, daily exams and pop quizzes, and it was just a horrible semester. But the most horrible part of it was the final exam. The student went in to take the final exam. The professor got up there and said, I'm going to put on the screen 100 pictures of birds, photographs taken from their knees down. And you will, you'll have 25 seconds to identify the common name and the scientific name of each bird. And the pictures started flashing on the screen, and people were just collapsing. And this student had just had enough of it. And he got up and walked up to the professor and said, this is the most unfair class I've had my entire career as a student. I'm supposed to graduate this semester, and this has just been too demanding, too much stuff. And he was going on and on like that. And the professor said, young man, what's your name? He pulled up his pants leg and said, you tell me. (laughs) Well, getting to know you from here down is going to be a little challenging the first few weeks, and I will just bear with that. I appreciate your willingness to care for each other and protect each other by doing what's necessary during these crazy times and wearing the mask, but um, I'm getting older, so if you would tell me your name several times. Eventually, I'll call you by name, and you'll know that I've got it. But, Or you could just write your name across your mask. That would be another option. How good it is to be with you, and I'm um, happy about that. Are you familiar with the wilderness? Exodus chapter 16, 1 says, The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elim, and Israel came to the wilderness between Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. 
The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you've brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. You know the wilderness. You don't, you don't need a map to find it. You've lived there time and time again. All of us have been in the wilderness. It's that in-between place when we've left one thing and haven't yet arrived at the other. That's the wilderness. It's the period of grief when you've lost someone that was dear to you and you've not yet worked through that process of mourning and adjusted to life without them. It's when you move from one place to another and you've left behind friends and acquaintances and familiar sites and places and you haven't quite made it home in the new place. It's not normal yet. It's the period of cleanup after a winter storm or a hurricane or a flood when life is still in an uproar. It's middle school. You remember that. It's the time between a worldwide pandemic and the time when enough people have been vaccinated to achieve some kind of herd immunity. It's when life is just not normal. It's the in-between time. It's the time following the loss of a job, the deployment of a child to war, the diagnosis of a serious illness, the aftermath of a painful divorce. There are so many of these wilderness times in our life when we've left one thing behind, but life has not settled into normal yet. We live in the wilderness, and you don't need a map to find it. I think sometimes we enter the wilderness periods in our lives without realizing what a deep impact they have upon us, upon our soul. These are soul-shaping times in our life when we're in between one thing and another. Those kind of wilderness experiences raise some significant questions about our lives. We may not ask them out loud. We may, not, we may be too frightened even to name them out loud, but they rattle around in our head like dust in a sandstorm and disturb us. What does this experience I'm going through tell me about who I really am and what I'm worth? If I'm not what I was, and I'm not yet something else. What does this experience tell me about God and my relationship with God? Where is God during the wilderness period? A man named William Bridges has written a book about managing those transitions in our life. He prefers the word transition to changes because that's what we usually experience. It's not that just one day things are one way and another day they're, they're a different way. But what we find out is that uh, we gradually let go of one thing and take on another. William Bridges, that's a great name for somebody who's written a book called Transitions. William Bridges calls this the neutral zone, and it is a painful time. Andre Gaudet, a French novelist, said that one doesn't discover new lands without consenting to lose sight of the shore for a very long time. Marilyn Ferguson, who is an American futurist, said, it's not so much that we're afraid of change or so in love with the old ways, but it's that place in between that we fear. It's like being between trapezes, or it's like Linus, the Peanuts character, when his blanket is in the dryer. There's just nothing to hold on to. That's the way we do it. So the story of ancient Israel's experience in the wilderness is more than legendary. 
it became for both the people of Israel and for the church over time a story that's mythic. It shapes the way we think and the way we see the world. It shapes our understanding of God and of our life and of our relationship with God. The Apostle Paul was talking about the experience of Israel in the wilderness in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, all these events happen to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at this time when the age is drawing to a close. Paul said those Old Testament stories about the wilderness are important ones for, we, for us who live at the end of the age to grasp and to understand what they have to teach us. He wrote in uh, Romans chapter 15, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. I suspect that if you could find an ancient Israelite and, and ask them the question, interview them and ask the question, what was, what was the most uncomfortable, the worst time in all of Israel's relationship with Yahweh, the Lord? What was, what was the most uncomfortable time? I, I don't think there would be a, a hesitancy. I think they would say, it was the wilderness. It was just awful. Uh, we, we got out of Egypt, and we were glad to do that, but suddenly we were out in the desert in this wilderness. There was no water. There was no food. And when we asked for food, the Lord gave us this stuff called manna. We heard that read a few moments ago. The people looked at it and said, what is it? In Hebrew, they said, man who? Which is where they, they got the name for manna. It's, they called it whatever it is. Uh, they didn't know, and they were eating that for 40 years, breakfast, lunch, dinner, second breakfast, manna. That's all you got. It was awful. If you, We would not like to have gone back there. It was, uh, no question, it was the wilderness. But if you could ask the Lord, what was the best time in your relationship with your people, Israel? Judging from what the prophets say, he would say to us, it was the wilderness. It was wonderful. It was like a honeymoon. They were, they were so dependent upon me. They, they turned to me for everything. They had to seek my guidance. They had to follow my leadership. It was a wonderful time in my life with Israel. The prophet Hosea, speaking for the Lord, says, Therefore, behold, I will allure Israel, bring her into the wilderness, and speak kindly to her. Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. The word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah said. Go and proclaim in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember concerning you the devotion of your youth, the love of your betrothals, your following after me in the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first harvest. And all who became, who ate of it became guilty. Evil came upon them, declares the Lord. The Lord says the wilderness time was a special time in our relationship with me and my people because it was a time they had to learn to depend on me. He gave them those instructions in Exodus chapter 16, said to test them, to teach them to obey him. You go out and you'll find manna on the ground every morning. If you don't go out and get it in the morning, by the time the sun comes up, there won't be any more there. So you've got to obey me and go out every day. Now on the sixth day when you go out, he says, you've got to gather twice as much because on the Sabbath day, there won't be any on the ground. And if you try to gather too much on any other day, it'll rot. But it won't rot on the Sabbath day. 
That's pretty easy instructions, but you read Israel's response to it, they do all the opposite things. There are people that sleep in and don't go get their manna, and they don't have anything to eat, and they complain about that. There are those who think, I'll get a bunch today, so I won't have to go up to, out early tomorrow, and it rots in the pot, just like they said. They had a hard time learning to follow basic instructions, but God said, that was a rich time for me, teaching my people to listen and to follow and to obey and to depend and so from Exodus chapter 13 all the way through Joshua 3, this story is recounted. The experience of Israel in the wilderness is enshrined in their annual festivals and feasts. Passover, telling about their deliverance from Egypt. The period of the Feast of Tabernacles, celebrating their wandering period and God's provision of light and water and food for them. Uh, the celebration of... Uh, Pentecost, celebrating God's giving the law to them at Mount Sinai. Those festivals were to remind them of the wilderness period with God. And some of their notable feature uh, characters like Elijah and uh, David spent considerable time in the wilderness with God alone. Jesus and John the Baptist start out their ministry in the wilderness. It is a time and a place where God interacts with his people in a special and deep way. The wilderness experience is common to all human beings, but for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, the wilderness has a special role to play in our lives. They raise, it raises big questions for us, big questions about transition, the common questions that everybody has during these times, and sometimes we are not brave enough to speak out. Questions about what God is doing and where God is and where God is leading and who am I and what do I do? Spiritually timid people may refuse to face those questions because they may be afraid they can't come up with any answers, but the questions are there nevertheless. It doesn't matter if you're 25 or 35 or 65 or 85. If you're in a wilderness period in your life, those are some of the things that you're likely to be dealing with. They're relational questions, so they're not answered in a sermon or a series of sermons. They're answered out of our engaging relationship with God. And every individual who sojourns in the wilderness for any period of time has to find answers to those questions himself, herself. We have to engage the relationship with God in the wilderness, understand who we are and who God is for us. That's what Jesus did his 40 days in the wilderness. That's what Israel had to do for 40 years, and it's what we have to learn to do as well. What are those wilderness questions, and where do you go to look for answers for them? One of the wilderness questions comes from the fact that the wilderness is a place of transition. It's the movement from Egypt to Canaan, from point A to point B. The wilderness is the dash between those kind of things, and we need to know in the wilderness, where is God leading? What is God wanting us to do now? For ancient Israel, there was the pillar of smoke by day and the pillar of fire by night, and they were learning really quickly that we only move when the pillar moves. We go where God goes. We follow God's leadership and God's direction. And we have to seek his direction and watch for it and be attentive, attentive to it. The wilderness is a place where we're learning that. What place uh, will God have in our life? The wilderness is a place where old ways die and new things have to replace them. Exodus got the people of Israel out of Egypt, but the wilderness got Egypt out of the people of God. There were things they had to learn to let go of and to take on. 
we have to ask the question, what do I have to grieve in order to move on? The wilderness is a place where we forge our relationship with God. God wanted to be their God. He wanted them to know him. They, he wanted them to see his glory, to hear his voice, to obey his voice. And so we have opportunity to ask in our wilderness periods in life, do I know God? What do I know about God? What place will God have in my life in these days, in these days when I'm stuck in between? The wilderness is a place where we clarify our own identity. For Israel, it was getting to Mount Sinai and hearing that invitation from God. He says, I have with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm delivered you from Pharaoh and brought you to this place. And now, if you will listen to my voice and keep my covenant, I will be your God and you will be my people. Out of all the nations of the earth, you are my treasured possession. And if you will, if you will, you will be my special possession. You will be my people, the people through whom I accomplish my work in this world. Forge our identity in the wilderness in our relationship with God. The wilderness is a place where our values get tested, what we really believe and how will we really live when things are difficult. For Israel at Mount Sinai, it was the giving of the Ten Commandments and the receiving of those that said, if you're going to be my people, this is what living, reflecting my glory looks like. It means having no other gods before me. It, it, it means not turning to idols or thinking that you can capture me in an idol and put me into the form of an image. It means not taking my name on yourself in vain. It's not about saying curse words. It's about claiming to be the people of God, but living as if you're not taking God's name in vain. It's about honoring your father and mother and honoring marriage and honoring others' possessions and honoring the truth. God said, that's, that's what it means to be my people. In the wilderness, we have to ask that question about what do I truly value? What do I really believe? How will I really live? Do I shuck it all because life has become uncomfortable suddenly? Or do I find a way to sink my roots deep into what I truly believe, what's really important to me? How do I live out in the wilderness everything I believe about God? The wilderness is a place where we experience God. God came to be known in ancient Israel as guide, provider, protector, light, cloud, giver of manna, water, quail, the God who protects during battles and provides guidance and provision and protection. All of those titles of God in the ancient Hebrew Bible are experiential titles. They're not reflective ones. They didn't, Israel didn't send their theologians up on the mountain to meditate on who is God. They learned that God was provider because every morning there was manna on the ground and there was water when they were thirsty and there was protection when they came into battle. They learned that he was their guide and leader because there was a light that went before them and a cloud that went before them. They learned that God was the one who provided. When David says, the Lord is my shepherd, that didn't come out of some reflection. Uh, abstractly. It was because he had been shepherded by God. The wilderness is the place where we experience God, and God becomes more than a name to us. The great titles of God are hammered out in the fires of experience, and we in the wilderness find out, can God be trusted? Can I follow him? Those are the wilderness questions. Those are the things that rattle around in our heads during the time in the wilderness. The wilderness is also a place where one pastor's retired and a congregation is 
spending some time in the wilderness waiting till point B, where sometime this group of people you've prayed for and selected to find a, a new shepherd, a new leader for your congregation, well, till they've done their work and they're confident, they come back and say, we believe God's got a pastor for us. But in between, those same wilderness questions are there. How do we live out what we truly believe about God during this period? What do we truly value? How do we experience God during this time as leader and guide and provider? How do we take on our identity as the people of God? We know what we have been. We don't know fully yet what the future holds, but in between time, we lean on God. We lean into it. How do you answer the wilderness questions? Parker Palmer was a Quaker writer. Any of you are in public education, you've probably come across some of his writings along the way because uh, he writes to teachers and educators a lot. He tells about a time in his life in his mid-40s, he was sort of going through a, something like a midlife crisis. He said he was living his life, he realized, on a very small mat. He needed to expand in some ways. And so he signed up for this thing called Hurricane Island Outward Bound Camp. You know, Outward Bound is one of those team-building experiences, uh, outdoor challenges, that sort of thing. And so Palmer signs up to be part of the Hurricane Island Outward Bound experience. And they did all kinds of things for several days, trying to open their minds up to new possibilities and what they were capable of doing. And one day they were all taken up onto this high ledge, 100 feet down to solid ground. And they were given a rope and equipment and told to repel without any previous training to repel themselves down the face of the mountain. Uh, their, Parker said his first inclination was to just slide down, and he found himself bumping face into the rock several times, and that didn't feel good. And the instructor yells down, lean back, put your feet against the, the wall, lean into it, lean back, and walk down the wall. Well, so he did that for a while, and then the instructor yells down, look below your feet, look out. And he very carefully looks down and sees that he's about to step into a big hole in the side of the, of the rock. And he's going to have to find some way to get around that. And he said that's when he froze. He was stuck on the side of this mountain. He couldn't go up. He couldn't go down. He couldn't go sideways. He couldn't get his feet to move. And, he, and they were yelling down and trying to give him some encouragement. Finally, the instructor yelled down, it's time for you to learn the motto of the Hurricane Island Outward Bound experience. And he goes, great. I'm here on the side of a mountain about to die, stuck, and she wants to teach me a motto. She says, here's the motto. If you can't get out of it, get into it. And he said, I've had the experience occasionally in church of the word becoming flesh, of something suddenly absolutely meaning something to me deep in my soul. He said, that's the way those words hit me that day on the side of the mountain. Something penetrated all my fears and all my emotions and all my rational thinking, and I realized I've got to get into this. I can't spend the rest of my life on the side of a mountain. And his feet began to move, and he made it down. Palmer said, uh, my instructor's words seem so profoundly true to me in this ex existential moment. They bypass my argumentative mind, bypass my frozen emotions, bypass my shattered ego, bypass my stuck willpower, and went directly into my body where they moved my feet, which proceeded to take me safely to the ground. It was just so clear 
that there was no way out of the situation except to get into it, and my feet started to move. Now, when we're in the wilderness, there's no way out of it. Israel would say, oh, I wish we could go back to Egypt. You can't. You can either die in the wilderness or you can get into it, but you can't get out of it. Israel took that route with their complaining and rebellion. But what we're called to, Paul says, by learning from their examples, is to take responsibility for our lives in the wilderness and to get into it. We can get into it. What do you do? I'm going to just recommend some things. You could make your own list if you want to. But here's some things I think that help us get into it when we're in the wilderness. One is stay with your spiritual routine. This is no time to abandon that. You gather manna every morning. You're going to need it. Be with God. Be with God in small groups or be with God alone. But stay with your spiritual practices. Stay with your spiritual routine during the wilderness period. You're going to need that. Stay connected to God's people. This is no time to pull away from church and say, well, we'll let those people down at Trinity figure that out, and if I like the new pastor, I'll be back. That's not the time to do that. This is the time to stay engaged with each other, with your small group, with worship together, because we are the people of God, and it's important for us to do this, and we don't do the wilderness well alone. Now, if you're Elijah, you didn't do that well, or Jesus, you might do the wilderness alone, but most of us do the wilderness better when we do it with each other. We need each other. Find places to explore God's activity in your life. Journal. Think about what is God doing these days? This is part of the way of experiencing God, noticing what God is up to in your life. Where are you hearing God speak to you? Where are you seeing God's hand at work? Uh, what do you believe God is doing? Having someone to talk to about that, like a spiritual friend or a spiritual director. But it's about being attentive to God's activity in your life. Notice things. And then here's a really important piece of advice for the wilderness. Don't hold your breath. This could take longer than you anticipate. Um, for Israel, it was 40 years. But the wilderness can sometimes be a long time. You might remember the name James Stockdale. He, I think he, he was Ross Perot's running mate a few years ago, wasn't he? Uh, he was the highest-ranking U.S. military army near the end of Vietnam War in the famous Hanoi Hilton prison camp. He was a prisoner of war for eight years. He was tortured more than 20 times, but he got free. He endured all of that. And uh, he had no promise of release, no certainty he would survive to see his family. But he took courageous personal action to see to it that as much as possible, he himself and those other American prisoners that were with him might be able to survive. James Collins wrote a book a few years ago called Good to Great, and he relates in there how James Stockdale described his coping strategy during those years in that prisoner of war camp. Stockdale said this, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn that experience into the defining event of my life which in retrospect, I would not trade. Collins asked him, what about those that didn't make it out? And he said, that's easy. They were the optimist. They were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and Christmas would go. And then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter. 
and then Easter would come and Easter would go, and then Thanksgiving, and then it would be Christmas again, and he said they eventually died of a broken heart. Optimism is not hope. Optimism that is groundless is an ingredient in the recipe for despair. Hope is an entirely different thing. Hope is a confidence about the future based on who God is. We have hope in the future, not because we're just being optimistic, but because we know our God. God is called the God of hope in Romans 15, the God of hope. One theologian translates that as the God of the future, the God of the exodus and the God of the empty tomb, the God of the future who stands before us in the future and opens his arms and says to us, it's safe to come here because I'm here. The future doesn't have to be a frightening place because God is present there into every future that we walk into. And Christian hope is based on that kind of confidence in the future based on a present relationship with God. It's not merely optimism. Collins described that attitude as the Stockdale paradox, which is this. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, that's hope, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of the current reality, whatever they must be. God is taking us to Canaan. We believe that. He's promised that. But right now, all we got to eat is manna. Right now, all we've got is dust around us. Right now, we don't have a map that tells us which way to go. We're dependent on this pillar of fire and pillar of cloud. Right now, the brutal facts of our reality are there, but God has promised to take us where he wants us to go. Don't hold your breath. It may take longer than you think when you're in the wilderness. Grief takes longer than you anticipate. Sometimes joblessness lasts much longer than we want to. Worldwide pandemics that should have been over some time ago continue. Don't hold your breath. Deal with the brutal facts of reality, but never let go of the hope that it is God who is leading us into God's future. If you can't get out of it, get into it. Stay with your disciplines. Stay with each other. Hold on to your identity. Don't hold your breath. God's going to take us to a new place, each one of us, in the many wildernesses that are part of our lives. And he's going to do it because he is the God of hope. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are grateful that we are not on our own. How... Sometimes we puff ourselves up with presumed confidence. In reality, we don't know what the future is, but we do know you. We know what you've done in the past. We know what you've done for your people. And we know that we are your people. And we ask you, God, be with those who are in wilderness places in this room right now, in their own lives, in their marriages, with their family, with their health, with their worries. God, be with those who are in wilderness places and be with us together in this wilderness place as we anticipate what you want to teach us about yourself in the weeks and months ahead. We offer our prayer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church, please visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.